Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's message was given by First Pres Interim Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Tassie Green. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 23, and the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, which you'll find in the New Testament section of your pew Bibles on page 15 and 185 or on screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Since we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth, make us hunger for this heavenly food that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. The followers of John the Baptist told Jesus that John had been beheaded upon the command of Herod. Matthew 14, verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 17. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, 
so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm wondering if any of you have ever been part of a world record. Any been part of a big event? Well, I learned that in Texas, everything's bigger in Texas. They decided to set a new world record for the largest ice cream sundae. In fact, the previous record was 222 feet long. They decided to beat it by 20 times, of course. So at a festival, they made a sundae that was nearly a mile long, 4,549 feet long. And I'm wondering if you were there, would you have grabbed a spoon to dig in? This was pre-COVID, but still, ice cream. What's your favorite flavor? On the count of three, everybody say it aloud. One, two, three. That's my favorite flavor too. Awesome. Well, I'm wondering where do you draw the line though? Are you an adventurous eater? This year, I heard of some new introductions. I want a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Would you try ranch dressing flavor ice cream? I don't see too many thumbs up. What about Jenny's ice cream nearby has everything bagel flavor? Thumbs up, thumbs down. We've got a few. I hear it's good from a Jenny's employee. What about, okay, good old vanilla. How many of you give that a thumbs up? Hmm, I'll have to find out if this is a vanilla ice cream church or perhaps a chocolate or strawberry. Now, why did the Texans host this event? Of course, they wanted to make it bigger and better for entertainment, for marketing. They wanted the notice. They wanted it to go viral, right? In that way, this big ice cream event provides a great contrast to today's gospel reading. Our passage today may seem firsthand as what? Well, it might seem like a tale told for the sake of celebrity or a big event or for marketing to spread Jesus news, even a tall tale. But scripture assures us that that's not what it is about. We're going to look at that today. The story leads me to so many questions. We'll look briefly at five today, but the first is this. Is that really why the stories of Jesus, these stories of the feeding of the 5,000, are included in the gospel reading? Is it possibly true that they just function as marketing or to build Jesus' fame? Well, the Apostle John wrote that the Gospels have one purpose. They're devoted to revealing who Jesus is. Actually, a second purpose. So that you may believe in Jesus. Follow him. So too with today's passage of the feeding of the 5,000. And if you keep reading in John, you'll see the next thing is that Jesus walks on water. So if the goal of the Gospels is to reveal who Jesus is, to build a life of thoughtful belief, then Matthew must have thought that these interactions contain key facts, key information about how, who Jesus is so that we could follow him. These stories are designed to build faith. Now, I know some of you might be saying, or some people might say, are you kidding? How can you say that with a straight faith? These big stories, I've met people 
Who calls these stories far-fetched or even offensive if you, if you pursue your faith with intellectual vigor? But I actually have to wonder that if you have that problem, I wonder if you need to work on your imagination. How do you enter into these stories? I believe that we all have imagination. For example, if your phone rings in the middle of the night, before you even finish answering it, has your mind run away with all the possibilities of what it could be? I know one day when I was pregnant with our oldest, I got a call from a police station telling me my daughter was in jail. I said, I certainly hope not, because she's right here. But if you get that call in the middle of the night, is that where your mind goes? Does your mind also go to the good possibilities, to all the good things that could be happening? Can your mind follow along with the miracles? We all have imagination. Let's picture for a moment how you might respond to Jesus' actual miracle. What would you think? What would you do if you were there to taste and to see and to touch and to feel and to smell this miracle of bread? Can you picture yourself on the shore with Jesus' disciples? Tonight, weather permitting, we're headed to Greenwood Street Beach, and I'm understanding that if we were gathered there on the lawn today, picture what might happen if some kind person handed you a hunk of your favorite bread, whether it's pita or cornbread or just a hot dog bun, and you were so hungry, it tasted great. And then the rumors start flying, which only add to the excitement. Nobody knows where this bread came from. How did it get here? I only saw five loaves to begin with. And look, now we have all this bread. It's filled everyone's bellies. We're all full. Where did it all come from? And there's just enough left over, only a few baskets. How would you react if you had experienced that moment way out in a distant place? And then we sometimes forget that Jesus doesn't pull off this miracle on his own. He turns to the disciples first. Did you catch it? He says to them, you give them something to eat. What? Is Jesus expecting too much of the disciples? And how do you think they maybe felt? Oh, come on, Jesus, don't put this on us. This is why we're asking you. Why does Jesus do this? What is Jesus up to? I wonder, is Jesus possibly trying to involve them in thinking bigger? In being part of something bigger? Jesus knows the miracle he has up his sleeve, and so he wants them to think about it first, to count the cost, to see how difficult it would be before he shows them that as God, he can do anything. And eventually, so will they be able to by the Holy Spirit power. I've heard that in Methodist theology, there's the idea that when the boy brought out his lunch of two fish and five loaves, that everybody followed his example and began pulling their food out of their knapsacks and shared it with one another, and there was enough to go around. Either way, 
It is a miracle of hospitality and love. I believe what the scripture tells us about what Jesus does and can do. But I wonder, do we realize, do the disciples figure it out, that Jesus wants to feed and care for people? Jesus wants to invites us as followers to join in. In fact, we'll see Jesus commands us too. There's lots of commands. Feed my sheep. There's lots of stories about what Jesus asks us to do. But why would Jesus invite us and the disciples to join in? I wonder if it's to open us too to Jesus' bigger possibilities. So much of life and faith involves mystery, things that we can't explain or touch or taste or feel or see. Two, I think about ordinary events are when two people meet and find they have something in common and become fast friends, whether it's on the first day of kindergarten or the first day of college or perhaps as co-workers or when you move into a retirement center. We have these connections we make. Or what about the time when a couple realizes that they're falling in love? I believe that these involve more than we can explain easily with our brains. And I think that it's because we are creatures and we are made in the image, the good image of God, our creator. And so we aren't, God is not bound by the five senses or physical reality. And we have some part of that in us as we have God at work in our lives by the Holy Spirit. God in Jesus Christ wants to meet us, to feed us, to show us God's love, to involve us in God's big plan to redeem all creation, to rescue creation. I saw a coffee shop sign last week. Sometimes they're trite, but this one made me think. It said, don't tell God you have a big problem. Tell your problem you have a big God. Ooh, huh? So as Jesus fed the 5,000 with two fish, five loaves, and a prayer, the people caught their first glimpse of a big God revealed in Jesus. Jesus, the miracle worker. Jesus, the provider. Jesus, the instant celebrity, and the crowd experienced for themselves God's love with their five senses. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And as they handled the bread and fish, they tasted, they smelled, they touched, they heard what was going on. They experienced it. And so too can we. In the Gospel of John, actually, it says that the crowds enjoyed their tasty fish and bread lunch so much that they decided to make Jesus their king right then. Hooray! At least we'll never go hungry, they thought. And much to the disciples' dismay, even though they loved that people recognized the possibilities, Jesus just walks away. He has different priorities, and what's worse for them he sends them away too. Now they don't know that he's going to walk on water to see them. But Jesus goes off alone to meet with his big God. Jesus has different priorities. And we discover those too in scripture. So my fourth question, what might we gain by learning from the gospel stories of Jesus? 
I think in reading scripture, we open our hearts and minds to the real Jesus. We meet our big God who's revealed in Jesus Christ. We meet our God who provides again and again. We can learn to tell our problem we have a big God. As you read these Gospels, commentators declare that these stories are the turning point in each of the Gospels, the point when faith in the person of Jesus becomes clear as the great matter at hand. In each of the Gospels, no wonder. I think we need the Gospels to paint a full picture of Jesus, to paint a picture for us, Jesus as fully human, fully divine, We need this picture for us to start paying attention and not just seeing it as words on a page. We have to realize who Jesus is. We need both the miraculous and the off-putting, the controversial and the attractive parts of who Jesus is and who Jesus claims to be as Messiah. And that can bring us to our knees before Jesus. I call this developing a biblical imagination in ourselves and in our kids. I mean, it's learning a true sense of hopeful expectation based on the Bible stories. Expectation and realization that God acted in Israel's history to save God's people again and again. And God acted decisively in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to save God's people once and for all. And then building that expectation that Jesus can and will act even today in our lives as individuals, in our life together as a church, Jesus still acts. Jesus still feeds as people. Building a biblical imagination then involves reading and rereading these stories to us, to our children, to our grandchildren to understand what Jesus promises, who Jesus is for us and all of God's beloved children. Even though it might be tempting to overlook or ignore some of the harder aspects of what Jesus says, we all need regular encounters with Jesus. It keeps us from creating our own personal favorite flavor of Savior. The real Jesus is far different and far more amazing than any we could invent. So why be open to who Jesus is and what God has sent Jesus to do? Because Jesus sends us too, for the sake of the world. So we see in this passage that Jesus fed the 5,000 and turned the world upside down and invites the disciples and invites us, by extension, to join in. So finally, what were the disciples' response to these miracles? What might be our response? If you keep looking from Matthew 14 on, you'll see that these miracles lead to many teachable moments, life-changing moments, because now Jesus has everybody's full attention. I wonder... Does Jesus have our full attention? It's a great question for the week. Whether or not you feel ready to believe all you read in the Gospels about Jesus, or whether or not you feel ready to put your trust in who Jesus is as Lord and Savior, 
whether or not you even feel ready to give Jesus any of your attention, I suggest an experiment. I suggest that you act as if for a period of set time, say two weeks. What's acting as if? Well, it's actually a process of psychological visualization that personal trainers, coaches, therapists suggest that we use. Picture yourself hitting the ball with the racket. Or picture yourself a healthy person living a full life. Or picture yourself working through difficult circumstances with your family. They tell us that using our mind's eye in these ways help us on the path towards behavior change. So see what can happen in your life as if, if you act as if Jesus truly is the God who can work miracles, who can provide food more than enough to meet our need. See what can happen in your life if Jesus truly is the God who works miracles and if the Holy Spirit enlarges your biblical imagination. Now, I'm not suggesting that God needs us to play let's pretend with the actuality, the factuality of Jesus' life. I'm suggesting that we humans might need this in order to get us to relax, to trigger our imaginations, to let down our resistance for a moment, to discover that we actually want to believe in this Jesus who invites us in. C.S. Lewis, who's the beloved author of the Narnian Chronicles, explains the moment of his conversion this way. He says this, I prepared to go for a motorcycle ride over country roads with my brother, Warney. When I got into the sidecar, I did not believe in Jesus Christ. Yet when I stepped out of the sidecar, I found I believed in Jesus Christ. And he adds, it wasn't even a particularly harrowing ride. Lewis did not choose faith in a moment, nor did he even decide to follow advice, to act as if. But in an afternoon's diversion, as he was thinking about God, he found that he lived his way into faith. Now, sometimes God goes out of God's way to grab our attention, as he did with the disciples and the people on that shore. Sometimes God just lets the wind and the waves and the scenery and some thoughtful pondering do it. Jesus is the first to remind us, though, that the stakes are high. Because faith in Jesus is not about finding our own favorite flavor, but acting, following Jesus for the sake of a hungry world. So Jesus' miracles and claims are more than just tall tales told for the sake of marketing or to build Jesus' fame or to get attention or build celebrity. When all is said and done, Jesus' miracles are told so that we and those around us may find faith in a God, Jesus, our God, who feeds and provides today, offering abundant life, and also brings us to eternal life, raising us up on the last day. And today in this table, Jesus invites us to join in another feast of miraculous bread. 
in the Lord's Supper, we can encounter Jesus here too and give Jesus our full attention. That's what Paul called in the Ephesians letter, the power to comprehend together with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Jesus and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Amen. Amen.